So we actually launched on Amazon with our regular strength. And I yep. think this is one of the maybe key fails of 2022. What we didn't do, and it's funny because I teach this to my entrepreneurs all the time, yet I didn't do it, figuring out what your persona is per channel. So you might yes. have a customer persona that is D2C so and well it's put. very specific. Maybe your retail customer is a little bit different, but each persona should change depending on your channel. Maybe they're the same, but they're probably not. All right, folks, welcome back to another You're Not Your ROAS. We're going to do some Psychonaut adventuring with Stephanie Nieto today, um, co-founder of Guala, did some really cool stuff with Green Igloo, um, just an amazing human. And also, there's a lot of really cool, interesting, regenerative mindsets. We're going to get into a lot of awesome stuff, but uh, Stephanie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, where does this podcast find you today? I'm located in Toronto, Canada. Oh, yeah. Beautiful city. I was actually just out there for, what was it? I think the some gorgeous event or something. It's a very pretty city. It's very Chicago-esque. On the water, bunch of high rises, like very pretty. Great architecture. Yeah. No, I love Toronto. I'm a Toronto fan through and through. I traveled a bunch, but I would never not call this home. Have you lived anywhere else? I have. I'm actually an immigrant to Canada, so I've actually lived in uh, Venezuela, Trinidad and Tobago, the U.S., and here. Oh, really? We're at Venezuela. Well, I grew up in Puerto Ordaz, but I had yep. family all over, so we traveled a bit. Oh, how fun. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's exciting. How did you get an entrepreneurship? That's a great question. Um, so actually, both my parents are engineers, and uh, okay. both my brother and I are entrepreneurs, <laughs> And so they were not, they definitely instilled the like tinkering with things, solving problems at an early age. Um, but I think the entrepreneurship thing comes from just being an immigrant, trying to make it, you know, trying to just create your own value and adding it into the world. Yeah, I love that. I think there's a certain aspect of, uh, so uh, I'm not an immigrant, but my dad, both, well, my mom was uh, American, but she lived on a border town and my dad's from Algeria. And there's just a certain, like, um, there's a UFC, I'm a big UFC fan, and there was kind of like this UFC meme for a while with that immigrant mentality where there's just there's just something about uh, that, that work ethic that gets instilled in you and you see kind of how hard your parents work and how hard you need to work and stuff like that. So I love that vibe. Um, kind of building off of that vibe, you did something really cool called Green Igloo, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So... I guess part of my story is I the whole entrepreneurship thing. I kind of fell into it with social ventures first. Um, so I did some work in Kenya doing microloans and beekeeping. Uh, then I did some water work in India, which expanded to Egypt. And then I was kind of just looking at all of our international projects at the time. And I was just surprised that we didn't have any big flagship Canadian projects. And that's not to say that Canada doesn't have problems like we absolutely do. And so um, at the time, I was just really curious as to like, what are Canada's biggest problems that people aren't talking about and actively being worked on? And what I found was food sovereignty and food security. And so um, I kind of just dove into it. Um, I started my first company, Green Igloo, focused on building greenhouses in the Arctic and other really hard to reach areas across Canada um, to help with food sovereignty locally. So a lot of these actually, I'm like, they look like this. Um, oh, how cool. 
Yeah, it's funny because they, they were hiding all my Ferrero Rocher on the side. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, my co-founder and I at the time, we, we built a bunch of greenhouses. Um, it's still going. Green Igloo is still a great organization and they're still building and growing as we speak. Um, but that's how I kind of fell into entrepreneurship. And that was my first stint. Well, first stint-ish uh, into my own project. How fun. That's really amazing. Um, there's something that is kind of sporadically interjected across all the bios and research that uh, I've done on you. And you have something that you're kind of aspiring to in that regenerative mindset. What What is a regenerative mindset? To me, regenerative mindset is just replenishing more than you're taking. And so this can be, you know, felt throughout my work, whether it's the businesses that I start or how we operate or, you know, what sectors we're working in. Um, it's just that core belief that, you know, you want to put back more than you are taking out. Um, I actually first heard it at this conference right before the pandemic. Um, and we were talking about, you know, how sustainability has become such a greenwashed word. And um, what does sustainability mean? Everybody just kind of renames it and says that they are sustainable and that they're helping our earth, et cetera, et cetera, when in reality, they're not really doing that much. And so I really liked the concept of regeneration as a way to just look at how you can do better in any sense of the word, personally and professionally in your business and so on. Oh, that's beautiful. I have a, a, a similar ethos of uh, create more than you consume. But you you always want to kind of leave the world in a surplus. Leave leave the, especially uh, I'm a big out outdoors guy, and so there's kind of like that hiking thing of like leave the trail better than you found found it kind of stuff. So I, I think that's just a beautiful way to live. It's fantastic. Um, another cool thing that you started was your uh, entrepreneurship program for uh, the Women's Entrepreneurship Hub. Will you tell me a little bit about that and what inspired you to do that? Absolutely. So, um, back to the like doing stuff in Kenya and doing stuff in India. And um, at the time, when even when I started Green Igloo and when I ran Green Igloo for so many years, I didn't actually want to be an entrepreneur full-time. Um, throughout these like different projects that I led, I had a full-time job or, or and I was a full-time student. Um, and it was just me scared, I guess, of being an entrepreneur. And so throughout that time, not only did I do Green Igloo and all these other projects, um, I also worked for like the government for a while. I worked at different uh, incubators and accelerators. I worked for different startups and I consulted in the fintech space. And during that time, I didn't start it, but I am one of the lead facilitators. The Women's Entrepreneurship Hub, when it was starting, um, they wanted to teach the Business Model Canvas. And for those listening that might not be as familiar, Business Model Canvas is basically just like a shorter form of a, you know, business plan. Instead of writing 30 pages, you have one page where you kind of map out your business and it's an iterative process. And so at the time I had worked with the business model canvas pretty extensively um, throughout all my projects. And so uh, it started off as a, as a favor to a friend. I, I was asked if I could come in and help teach it. And I was like, why not? Um, let's do it. And, and that turned into, I think it's been like six or eight years, somewhere between there of me teaching this program. And it grew from a one hour, one session class to a five week program that we work with um, women experiencing low income phases, newcomers to Canada, and often at risk youth. Wow, that's beautiful. Look at you, just changing the world. So with all this stuff going on, 
How do you stay so focused to keep kind of pushing forward what you want to be working on? Is there any frameworks or anything that you could uh, highlight for our listeners in terms of being able to just really keep that that laser focus to make you able and open you up to do all these really cool initiatives? Yeah, I mean, I, I really try to stick away from mission drift. Like I try to choose one or two projects that I'm constantly working on and, you know, set, setting goals to achieve with. Um, th- that's not to say like in my earlier entrepreneur years, I definitely had, you know, I, I it was so hard for me to say no to cool projects. Yeah. It's still... Yeah relatively hard for me to say no but i i do try to stick to a work-life balance that feels comfortable for me and you know my household um for example like i don't work past you know six or seven p.m on most days i will almost never work on a weekend um and so limiting myself to like those specific buckets of time it's like well realistically i can't take on more things right so that's one aspect of like trying to say no and the other part is actually figuring out what your passion is, right? So Mm -hmm. while I was with Green Igloo, I became Green Igloo. I didn't really have an identity outside of my work. And I was known as like that Arctic greenhouse girl, you know, and and that's how I thought of myself. And so once the pandemic hit and I realized, you know, like this project I started when I was 18 isn't really who I am anymore. And I had to ask myself that scary question, like, what do you like to do? Like, what are your hobbies? What are you into? What are you passionate about? And it was really hard realizing that I had no clue. Like I had absolutely yeah. no idea. Um, and while talking to friends and family, trying to figure out, you know, what what's my next thing? Like what what am I really into? A lot of them were like, "Well, you love drugs." <laughs> like in a non <laughs> in a non you know problematic manner. I really had a passion for exploring drugs as a hobby. I love yep. learning about them, taking them, and helping friends figure out what they're into or creating different cocktails of different types of, you know, things to take that would have a really good trip for them. Uh, yep. And that was just like a personal passion of mine. I, you know, never wanted to charge anybody for it. I just loved doing it. And so when I was kind of reflecting on that, on actually on, on a shroom trip, funny enough, um, it, it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, wow, why don't I take that passion and and make it into a career? Um, and so that, of course, the next question comes, how do you create a career in drugs without being, you know, some underground dealer? Well, not to say that underground dealers aren't, you know, great, but um, I didn't want to be one. And, yep. and so... I really focused on reaching out to my network and figuring out like people in cannabis. They probably know people in other psychedelics and other categories in the space. Um, And yeah, I just started talking to people. And while talking to people, I realized that a lot of the sector looked at psychedelics with like money signs in their eyes, which I understand. Like people do think of it as a gold rush. But that's not why I love psychedelics. And I mean, I spent the last eight years building greenhouses in the Arctic. I wasn't rich by any means. Um, and so I really wanted to figure out a way, how do you do psychedelics legally while also giving back to the community and making it more accessible? And that was kind of my own personal mission. And it wasn't until I met my co-founder, Pete, that we really aligned and figured out, okay, how do we bring accessible psychedelics to people? It's not legal yet, so can we create a formula that you know can kind of bring the same benefits? That's where our third uh, co-founder, Daniel, comes in, and he's our you know mad scientist. and 
he yeah. created the mojo formula that we now have today. Wow, that is such a crazy, what a, you know, no pun intended trip. That's so interesting. <laughs> How, so I know you said you were on a little bit of a, a you know, psilocybin fuel journey, but for people that maybe might have some, you know, uh, predispositions to using some psychedelics in a certain way, is there any other way? Because candidly, like I struggle with this as a little bit as well, where um, I've always been this really like high performer, always wanting to do this, always wanting to do that. And I've been at Triple Whale now a year and a half and there, there's just nothing. I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here, but there's nothing like a early stage startup to really... Uh, <laughs> disjoint your life because there's just there's just always more there's growth 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 there's all these things and I I and you know I know a few friends too where not only does your identity get tied up you kind of lose uh it's just work 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 or sleep and you yeah. lose that that kind of like what makes me happy or how do you you know how do I turn off or if I didn't do this what it was the other things is there any other you know uh outside of taking the mojo maybe I just need to take a bunch of mojos and koalas I mean- uh Just say, but is there any other, when you were, you know, in that frame of mind, was there like any mantras or anything that helped you kind of find the light that you ended up doing with your mushroom company? Yeah. I mean, again, boundary setting, definitely up there. Um, Time boxing is something that I use all the time. Um, I would say a lot of it is also being really mindful of what you're doing and spending your time on. For me, um, as an operations person, somebody who, you know, just likes to kind of have a hand in everything, yep. learning delegation, an appropriate delegation, it was a really important skill to um, to hone, I guess. And I mean, a lot of these things that I kind of learned on how to function within a startup and not losing myself within it, I learned through things like mentorship programs, accelerators, incubators. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, boundary setting, time boxing, um, and not, not giving into the FOMO, you know, sometimes, yep. uh, and I, I experience so this all the time when there's like an amazing conference that you really want to go to, or there's this, like, you can expand your business into a new geographical area and tackle this new big juicy problem, aka new customer segments, or, you know, there's these, all these like shiny things that are always around you. Um, but having those, being really strict with yourself with your boundaries, with your time boxing, with your goal setting um, is something that has really helped me and, and that I do teach all my entrepreneurs. Like as an entrepreneur, you're always going to have the next shiny thing in front of you. That's but so... if you consistently chase the new shiny thing, you'll never actually build something that is, you know, worth looking back on. That's so well put. Um, I need to do better about my boundary stuff because that's the, 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 like personally, I know when I'm not in the best place is when like I'm using like my leisure time to do like the the menial tasks of like my day job, right? Of like, yep. oh man, I never do e- like I suck at email. If unless you like Slack me or text me or WhatsApp me, like probably not going to get a re- response back. Maybe, but it'll be like so late that the reason you emailed me is probably past anyways. Um, but I'm using like my weekends and my leisure time just to go and do these, this, you know, like busy work task, if you will. So I think that boundary is just such a, because the other thing that I think boundaries do is, and you, you kind of alluded to this, but they give you the real perspective and also time blocking. I'm a big time blocker as well. Cause I'll, I'll have the, I had this real proclivity to have this just like chaotic list and be like, of course I'm going to get that done. 
And then you start to slot it in over your actual days and hours. And you're like, I'm not, that's not going to take me five minutes. Like, there's no way I'm getting all this stuff done. So it's almost like a forcing function to give you prioritization and understand like, hey, I only have X amount of hours in the day. Um, I am interested to see what, how do you, do you have any uh, like systems in terms of goal setting? Yeah, well, okay. So just a few in terms of like platforms and stuff um, that I use for all of this. Um, one, workflowy in terms of like my to-do list. Uh, there's such a satisfaction of cl- like clicking complete through their UX. Same. Love that. Um, Notion, I check, I create a weekly priority list basically and things that are like, I'm going to start, I, that are in progress or that are blocked and it, it, it will annoy me till the ends of the earth knowing that things are blocked, right? So eventually like they yeah. move over, but I do it every single Friday. Um, so it really that. helps with the, I guess that's my goal setting thing of the week. Yeah. Um, in terms of like quarterly goals, I do set them and I set them with my team and I set up this whole like KPI tracking thing across departments, across the organization. With that said, I personally like because it in a startup world, like all your KPIs are constantly shifting. Then goalposts so become higher or lower and like there's just so many changing things. So I find quarterly goals aren't as... I guess helpful as they could be um yep. versus now we're actually switching in 2023 to monthly uh audits on very specific goals that we are keen on improving upon so that's how that's changing uh, but that's not personal that's like team-wide yep no i love that i'm a big 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 notion user as well i absolutely um I love it I, I just got access to the new ai stuff they have yes. dependencies now and tasks and stuff. They it's it's so good. I'm so excited to kind of we're rolling out. I just unlocked it for my team, so we're rolling out some new, um, some new good good in Notion for that. But I like the monthly thing, and I really enjoy the idea of um, looking at those block tasks. And so this is something um, I use something called Superhuman for email, which I never do mm-hmm. anyways. But it's it's really cool. they have one of the best onboardings. But what, one of the things that they do in there, I think, can be so helpful, and I'm actually going to do it now because it's just natural. It's at the end of the year. But basically, any emails that you haven't answered that are 60 days or older, they just automatically tell you to delete them. Where it's just like, get rid of that. It's It hasn't been important enough for you to talk, look back on it in 60 days. It's not going to be important. And if it is a big deal, it'll bubble back up. And so that's why I really like that kind of blocked philosophy because what we're going to start doing here on my team is essentially kind of those those similar swim lanes like in that Kanban board style and then if something is just perpetually blocked like let's just nuke it and let's just punt it and like like there's no yeah. there I just find that like sometimes you can get like paralysis analysis and you have these like all these little paper cuts that then like block that like primal river of energy where you're just like oh I got to do this thing and that thing and this thing and then there's just it's it's the uh, Bjorn's donkey kind of uh, thing where you have a horse that is both starving and uh, dying of thirst, and then there is uh, water on one side and food on the other, and it's equidistant in between, and it just dies because it doesn't know, it should it go get water first or should it go get the hay first? And so I really love that idea. That's a really cool, and I love the cadence as well. I'm going to steal all this. This is good. This is perfect timing for this podcast. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's amazing. You're very welcome. Um, okay, one last question, then we'll get into the value add and start talking about uh, how you really formalized your your psychedelic journey and learnings and how you were able to 
um, put that in a, the company's branding is beautiful by the way it's very very Thank gorgeous you so much. the site's the site's a ton of fun and um, the content's really crazy too it's very very cool very interesting stuff but before we get into that uh, last question what's the nicest thing someone has done for you oh wow uh, definitely I, like the first thing that comes to mind is either my partner or, or our customers one of the two um you know what? I, one of the simplest things that I really love, my partner sets up my coffee in the morning. Um, and it's one of my absolute favorite things because I don't do like the typical coffee thing. Like I do mm -hmm. one of those like espresso makers. So it's yeah. several steps to, yeah. you know, set it up. I think that's one of the nicest things. That's just like an ongoing. But also I, I love, I absolutely love when customers figure out like the brand and then they do the research to figure out who the founders are and then they message me privately and they're How just cool. like, hey, I love, you know, Mojo. I love what it's done for me. And it's just it's just such a nice thing. Um, yeah, I would say those two come to mind first. I love that. That's beautiful. Okay, let's get in the value add segment. This is why the people bought the ticket. Um, why'd you start and co-found Guala? Or Gu How do I pronounce it? I'm going to, Guella? Guella. Guella. Okay, I got it. And uh, so tell me, why did you start it? We kind of had a little bit of the backstory. And then why is it called that? What's the name Genesis? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of why we started it, um, it was really to bring accessible psychedelics. Mm -hmm. That, like, how could we do that before legalization? And that's not to say, like, eventually we'd love to have a psychedelic line. Like, that's, again, we all love mushrooms and, and all other psychedelics, but... Before that happens, how did we? How could we bring it to people and give the same benefits? So that was really the origin of it. Guella itself is Welsh, um, and it means to to the to better oneself, to better everything. And when we first started Guella, um, you you might have seen on like old podcasts, we had this motto, uh, which people it took like a second for people to understand. So that's why we got rid of it, but where. Uh, <laughs> We put it under like in Notion somewhere as our genesis. But the whole yeah. thing was we wanted to improve people's life plus six. So we didn't want to like plus 100, plus 10, plus 15 improve people's lives. We weren't a, a clinician. We weren't a medical yep. company. But yep. we also weren't necessarily a like recreational psychedelic company. Like sure. we weren't, we were all just about improving yourself, improving the well, um, all about mindfulness and wellness. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the origin of the name and, and why we chose, why we chose Guella. How did you land on a Welsh name or was it, were you guys just looking through dictionaries or like a lot kind of, of internet searches in the right, right mind frame or like a Welsh name? That's kind of odd. Yeah. The, it was a lot of, um, Googling and yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like we knew what we wanted to be. It was just right. what what's a name that isn't taken and is still available on things like Instagram, you know? Yep. Um, yep. 100%. And so we just looked up different translations, different meanings, and tried to narrow it down that way until Guella just sounded really it rolled off the tongue, you know. Yeah, no, it's great. And it has uh, aesthetically it's very pleasing. Um, who found it? Was it you or the other two one of the two other two co founders? It was Pete. Yeah. It was Pete. Shout out yeah. Pete. Well done. Shout out sir. to Pete. Well done. Um, speaking of your co-founders, how did you guys connect? That's a great question. Um, yeah. So Pete and Daniel met on a psychedelic forum online. Um, that was so, amazing. Yeah, so that, that, was, that was them. Um, and then Pete and I met 
through a mutual friend. So one of his mutual friends um, was actually one of my photographers for Green Igloo in the Got Arctic. It. So we like went, shot a bunch of beautiful imagery and, you know, stayed friends. And so when I was looking into who's working in cannabis or potentially psychedelics, our mutual friend was just like, I know this guy. He wants to start a psychedelic company. Y'all should top chat. This was during the pandemic. Um, oh my gosh. So we ended up working together and co-founding Guella um, without meeting each other in person until I think it was like maybe six to eight months in when we first met in person. Um, so yeah, that's how that's how we met. How cool. Yeah, isn't it wild? I Especially with like video and all these things now, I've worked with people that I feel like I've known forever and then I'll meet them in person. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've worked with you for like, like to your point, like six to eight months and we've never interacted in person before. And it's so, such a unique thing where you're like, oh yeah, I feel like I, I, I know you already. It's so, so fascinating. How fun. Um, it's such a random. It's so I weird. It's, it's you can't so even random. pick up like, you have to learn somebody's mannerisms, how they really feel about things, how they yes. are thinking. Typically when you're in an office or something, like you... You know, you can pick up when somebody's like upset about something or when they're yes. really joyful or, you know, you pick up on these small little things. But when you're just working via like Zoom, essentially, you kind of have to figure it out. And yes, yeah, it was it was really interesting. I, mean, I had never done it, obviously, like pandemic. Obviously, a lot of people learned how to do that. Um, but it was very peculiar. Yeah, it's so interesting. Are they both in Toronto with you or not? No, Pete's in Toronto, um, and uh, Danielle is in the U.S. Oh, cool. Amazing. Yeah. But you guys ship to states in Canada, correct? We mostly operate in the U.S. right now. We are Just entering states. Canada um, okay. literally any day now, officially Amazing. anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. And we actually went international in October, so now we ship internationally. Oh, wow. How cool. That's so interesting. Um, wow. That's incredible. Do are they also uh, psychonauts as well? So like mushies, or have they done any like the Aya or any of those kind of like more intense uh, like plant medicines? Um, I would say so. I think we're all we're all into psychedelics, and we've all yeah. had our own journeys on with you know different types. Um, I yeah. won't out their journeys, but um, yeah, 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 fair play. Yeah, they we've all we're all big into the space. Yeah, that's amazing. And I really like the delineation that you have that it's not necessarily like super hardcore. Um, like obviously you'd want to get there and possibly run retreats and stuff like that once some of the legalities kind of clear up. But it's not like this super hardcore medicinal like MDMA blowout where you're going to fix everything. But it's also not like let's just smash some mushies and, you know, go walk through the park. Like this is this kind of plus six of like let's improve what we already have here in a nice, meaningful way. I think that's a really cool way to put that. I really like that a lot. Yeah, and I, to be fair, I mean, I think if somebody wants to crush some mushies and go through a walk in the park, have a, a forest bath, that can totally yeah. improve your own wellness totes. in a variety of ways. What we, I guess, aren't as much into is like, I look at one time I was at a club and I saw some people taking mushrooms in the bathroom and I, I, just, I was... I was just so flabbergasted. That ain't I was it, like, man. That ain't yeah, it. I'm like, how do you? <laughs> like, there's so many different things you could take in the bathroom. Like, yeah, what exactly. We, why mushrooms? Um, uh, but it, it, similarly, yeah, like we're not, you know, we're not clinicians, we're not doctors, we're not here to yep. solve your biggest problems and issues. 
Although we have gotten a lot of reviews of people utilizing Mojo for things like their mental health, which we, yep. you know, I, I love hearing about. And I, I really appreciate when they share those stories with us. But for us, it's again, like that betterment of the well, the day-to-day wellness versus mm-hmm. one aspect or the other, like one big um, delineation between them. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I, I really, really think that's super cool. Um, what would you guys credit? Like, you guys are doing really well right now. What would you credit the the success to? I mean, one, people's up to recent obsession with mushrooms. Um, yeah, that's fair. It's the resurgence of mushrooms and what they can do for you in so mm-hmm. many different ways. And I think the pandemic really spurred that. You can travel abroad, so you travel within, you know? Like, people Ooh, who that's really a good started... Line. That's a good line. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, that's really what launched mushrooms again um, into popularity. But I think in terms of Mojo specifically, unlike other products where there's two big differences, they're typically powders or tinctures where you have to add it into your coffee or into that's your it. water and you have to just like update your routine. Um, I think that's one aspect that makes us different. We really wanted to create a convenient, like grab and go type of product that was also yep. tasty. Yep. Personally, again, like I don't like when people mess with my coffee. So yeah. um, I didn't want something that would change an existing routine that people love. So yep. the gummy. And then other people, like most other products kind of in the same space, they tend to have like their energy blend, their focus blend, their mood blend. Um, and you know, my natural path already makes me take enough different types of supplements. I didn't want to have to have a variety of different things that I also have to add in just to get these very simple but really beneficial benefits. Um, And so we, we, the the formula itself, I think is important to know, is about a decade old. Um, Originally, uh, our Daniel, (laughs) our mad scientist, he had created this formula as a way to get through finals when he was in university. And so it was more of like a natural Adderall type of formula. And so when we all met, we came together to make it more of a microdose, adding in the energy, the, uh, well, the energy and the mood, not just the pure focus. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of like what's driven that success, I think it's the really unique formula. The fact that we were able to add in all those different benefits that typically would taste pretty horrendous into a tasty gummy. That is super cool. Yeah, I really, that's, that's really neat. What, uh, that's really neat where it's, it's like that baby microdose, but you're getting all those different vectors. And then I'm with you as well. When you have like the 78 different things of like, do I need the fitness thing? Do I need the energy thing? Do I need the focus thing? It gets, it gets a little overwhelming. So I really like the idea of kind of combining into this winner take all formula. That's really cool. Um, Tell me some of the best parts and se- tell me some of the most challenging parts about being the CEO of Guela. Um, well, I'm COO, but... Um, COO, yes, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I would say one of the hardest parts, um, figuring out what you can and can't say with a pro- a product that like is That's leaning interesting. into, yeah. you know, the maybe an illicit space, psychedelics right. and, and microdosing. And even though we're completely legal, like all of our ingredients are completely legal, um, we still, we're, it, a lot of the time we're playing that game of, oh man, we got shadow banned because maybe yep. it was this word that did it or maybe it was this imagery that did it. Um, and and the, most social platforms won't directly tell you like what you've done wrong. And so you're yeah. just playing this really awful game of what will work and what won't. 
Um, yep. And then sometimes when you absolutely go viral and you don't know why, like you yeah. have no idea what caused it. Like we went viral in Australia a few months back. And to this day, like our team has no idea what it was. <laughs> um, so I would say that's like, that's one of the hardest things. Uh, one of the best things, especially about Mojo, is again, getting those customer feedbacks when they're just like, yeah. Mojo has changed my life. Um, again, I, 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 we don't want to be like a medical company. Right. With that said, when I get one of those comments where it's like, I am able to do more in my day, I feel more yeah. confident, I feel more productive. My kids aren't driving me insane because I yep. was able to actually, you know, do everything that I needed to do. I had more patience while I was doing it. I had no crash. All these things are just like they're part of the reason I get up in the morning. You know, just being able to change people's lives on a day to day basis is just such a beautiful thing. Oh, man, I couldn't agree with you more. And for uh, people that are out there using it or using Triple or whatever, you can absolutely make an entrepreneur's day with just a, uh, and not like an insincere review, but like something that happens because there are so many challenges and that you have to cross and you can get so beat down and it's it's like that one little light and then they're like, ah, oh, I'm back again. There, There is meaning to this. This is so helpful. So I, I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful way to think about that. Um, in terms of acquisition, you guys are still D2C only, correct? No, we're in about 50-ish stores, and we're hoping oh, to amazing. grow that in 2023. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, any Amazon interest or strictly retail? Also on Amazon. In... Oh, you are on Amazon, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Look at this omni-channel stuff. So as, like, you being the operations person, what was kind of the order of operations, if you will, in terms of how you brought on these different marketplaces and then all things being equal, do you want to move to a strictly, like, a, do you prefer retail over D2C? Do you want to keep this omni-channel approach? Um, where's your head out there? Yeah, so we started direct-to-consumer. That was, like, yep. our bread and butter. Um, we hadn't planned on retail. And I think in our, probably in our minds at some point, we thought Amazon, too, as an extension of D2C, but yep. retail definitely wasn't there. Um, we launched direct-to-consumer. Sales exceeded what we expected by, like, I think it was like 56% within the first two months. Um, wow. And, and then all of a sudden, the retailers started reaching out organically, just asking like, hey, saw your ad or somebody came in and asked for it. Like, where's your wholesale pricing? And I, I, I had nothing. <laughs> I had absolutely nothing. So I created a Notion page, which is actually where yes. all of our wholesale stuff lives. Um, and, you know, I created a, a sell sheet and pricing and volume discounts and all of these things and I had no idea how to create it. I started reaching out to different, you know, brand founders that were also in retail. I'm like, how do you guys do it? And yep. and then, you know, I I we we learned. Um and so we launched retail. Uh that's been, you know, steadily growing. We are planning to invest more into it in twenty twenty three and um we are in the middle I can't like disclose some of okay. the retail partners yeah, that we yeah, have yeah. come up and yeah. coming, but there are some big announcements for February. Um, so that's really exciting. And then Amazon. So we actually launched on Amazon with our regular strength. And I yep. think this is one of the maybe key fails of 2022. Um, what we didn't do, and it's funny because I teach this to my entrepreneurs all the time, yet I didn't do it. Figuring out what your persona is per channel. So you might yes. have a customer persona that is D2C so well and it's put. very specific. Maybe your retail customer is a little bit different, but each persona should change depending on your channel. Maybe they're the same, but they're probably not. 
And yeah. with Amazon, we launched our regular strength. Um, our reviews were awful. Like we had like a 3.2 or something. And the thing is, okay. Amazon buyers tend to go for like the hard stuff. They want the extra strength. They want the yep. most bang for buck. That's why they're on Amazon, yeah. you know? Yep. And we, so anyway, we ended up taking down that listing. We end, we got into an accelerator and we were working with um, an Amazon agency and they were just like, the, 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 that was your key learning there. Like, that's not what you should have, you guys should have launched. You should nuke the listing and we should, uh, you know, relaunch with your extra strength skew. And so there was a lot in there <laughs> to figure out how to nuke a listing. Um, yep. But we did it. We relaunched our extra strength. And now we're, I think we're at a 3.9 or so. Um, and so we're actively work figuring out different tactics to get up to the 4.0. Yeah. Um, and it's still a work in progress, honestly. We only launched it in October or, or re re relaunched it in October. But uh, yeah, in terms of like, what are we planning to stick to? Do I have a favorite? I mean, I personally love working with retailers, um, yeah. getting their feedback, hearing about their customer stories. Like it's it's such a an amazing like relationship that we've honed with these people. So I, I think we're, you know, want to continue that. But then direct to consumer, like love when people find the brand and, and they really yeah. relate to it and then amazon like i have high hopes you know yes. i i have high hopes that we will figure out the whole review thing anybody listening please help me out with reviews drop um, a review people right uh so yeah i think we're probably gonna stick with the omnichannel tactics and in, in, in the way that we've been building it uh at least for now no, I think that's super smart. And I really just absolutely love your point of um, there's definitely like product market fit, but then there's product channel fit of like not only the messaging, but how to your point, maybe different SKUs. Um, I used to run an agency and um, he was actually really big. It was beard care stuff and he was really big on Amazon. And then his Shopify store is actually maybe a fifth as big, like not, not huge, but not small, but his Amazon was actually massive, but he only had certain SKU sets on there. And so um, I totally, totally, uh, knowing that can be so helpful to understand what the job to be done is, why are people here? And it could, to your point, it could be the same, but at, a lot of times it's going to be like, in specific Amazon, it's just, it's such a unique acquisition channel um, that uh, you really want to make sure that, and it's it's fairly, uh, not unrewarding, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, unforgiving. Where it's like, if you yes. zig or zag in the wrong place, if you go out of stock at all, they cut your listing. Like, there's some pretty egregious, like, requests for them to play in the Amazon garden. And, like, you know, it's it's so worth it that everybody does it. But, man, there's, I, I have some friends that have some absolute Amazon horror stories, but they're still on there. And it's 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 a really healthy channel for them. But you, you definitely, it, it, it's not all uh, roses and uh, fun psychedelic trips. <laughs> it's a lot of work that goes into them. There's so much work, and you're so completely right. It's so unforgiving, and it's in the smallest ways that you don't expect, yes. too. Yep. For example, I recently got locked out of our entire account, and they, like, unlisted us because I updated our deposit info. It's amazing, right? Like, oh, my gosh. And I was just like, what? I thought we were being hacked. I was like, what yep. has gone wrong? Um, it is so unforgiving, and you really have to just figure out what works best on it. <laughs> yeah no it, it, i've had yeah friends had like crazy reviews where there was like a person that was like very obviously a competitor and then because there's like like bad reviews and there's like reviews that are like 
you can almost tell they're like plants. And so like they, yeah. somebody said that it was like a lotion. Somebody said like the lotion had broken them out in hives and stuff like that. So they totally delisted their product. They had to talk to Amazon. It was off for like, it was, yeah, it, it can be uh, a cruel, cruel mistress Amazon can be for sure. Yeah. Um, how do you see kind of the next two to three years unfolding for e-commerce? Like not only for you guys, but yeah. just in general. Because I, I, not to cut you off, but they're like the more and more I talk to D to C founders, it's almost like D to C is the beachhead, and then the more you can get into this omni-channel, whether it be Amazon, whether it be retail, whether it be these other things, like that's when you really start to see that step change in the business. Where um, if you just stay strictly D to C, you start to bump up against some ceilings in terms of like whether it be shipping and pick and pack or things of that nature that just start to really eat in your margin versus like shipping to Whole Foods or something that's already carrying your product and you just ship them a bunch of freight and it's like, all right, cool. Like I'm done and I'm, I'm done. absolved of this product. Like, you know, I don't have these little pick and pack fees that are just going to like paper cut me to death. And even though the volume looks great, when you get to the actual meaningful numbers of either gross margin operating or net, you're like, man, where'd all my money go? Uh, so how do you how do you see DTC unfolding or e-commerce in specific? Yeah, so I mean, I think it depends on what type of brand you are. Are you a luxury brand? Are you yeah. an affordable brand? And the reason I say that point. is because I think for the luxury space, um, a lot of people, especially like post-pandemic, I've noticed customers wanting to go in store to either test the product, to feel it, to check up, you know, just to like a tangible look to it. But that tends to be more in the luxury space. Yep. Um, that's not to say that people, you know, won't go to Walmart or something to like pick up their favorite products. But um, I find that people that have more disposable income want to go to a store and check it out. Um, yep. And also the whole like supporting local, even if your brand is international, like it's in a local store, you know, yep. that, that that tends to be something that, you know, customers are looking towards. Um, and other customers are just so budget conscious right now you know um within the next two to three years that will probably bounce back but they're looking for value in their products and and there's so much competition like e-commerce has just exploded over the pandemic especially as people lost their jobs they started creating their own businesses and mostly selling online because selling in brick and mortar is that much harder um it becomes like such a you really need to understand your value proposition and the like value per product per gummy like what are you offering um so i think the affordability aspect is something that companies are really going to hone in on and and part of that is figuring out their shipping and logistics um i you know death by a thousand paper cuts i love that saying uh and it definitely happens with shipping and logistics uh customers within the age of amazon nobody wants to wait three weeks for their products you know people get pissed off they leave you really not negative reviews and they don't come back and then they talk badly about you on reddit um and so companies that figure out their shipping or logistics i think are the ones that are going to win and i think that's how e-commerce is going to change people are really going to focus on providing a smoother and faster shipping experience uh and i think part of that i've started noticing e-commerce brands instead of like going you go to their website but when you press buy it goes to amazon yeah. Right. And and I think that's going to become more prevalent because, I mean, Amazon can get your stuff there within a day, two days, and you just have to sh- ship them your product. And they have their own SKU system, so you don't even have to get a UPC, right? Like, I think 
there's going to be a shift towards that if you're aiming for affordability and like the quickness of your shipping as long as you're not vertically integrated you know or people may shift to vertically integration that way they can yep. handle the entire um the entire chain now it, it, on the other side for e-commerce i think that people like you said yes they're going to start into the independent stores just to start getting their name out there but I think they're going to try to get those bigger whales. They're trying to get yeah. the Walmarts, the Targets, the yeah. Whole Foods, all of those type of bigger places where you Absolutely. have three accounts, you put in a few orders every quarter and <laughs> you're set, right? Yeah, the but, year is made. <laughs> exactly. And, but similarly, I think those programs, or, or rather those stores and, and chains are going to come out with programs where they like Targets um, Incubator Accelerator program yep. where they're going to start to build out their brands that are small but have a lot of value and have some good promising metrics to just kind of funnel them into their stores um, yep. which I think is good, like really going to build out within the next two to three years. It's a really good prediction. I really love that prediction and I think Shopify saw this issue. They what they buy Deliver. Or I can't remember. I think it was their biggest acquisition, Deliver, or something, some sort of logistics company. And they paid a whole bunch of money for because I think that is the missing link. And I think you're spot on where these next couple years, entrepreneurship is going to take a not backseat, but there's going to be a co-pilot of operations slash inventory management next to them to make sure that they can provide these fulfillment services, not only at the same rate, um, but also the cost structures there because there, yeah. there's just there's just so much that goes into it. And the more and more I talk to people, the more and more I realize how much I missed the actual cost structures that come with D2C. And the challenge is you don't really get too much like economies of scale or breaks as you get bigger like because you have more inventory if you don't move that inventory you're still paying for the warehousing where they're housing yeah. your inventory like they're just because you ship out x or y or z rates like you're usually not big enough to command some sort of rate shift so you're just paying more money at the same rates that somebody that's sending 100 packages is paying and so there's just like this really almost like no man's land of operations and logistics for a lot of DTC companies, especially when you get, you know, you get to like a million and then you get to 10 million and there's like, you don't have enough power to pursue, like you're not a price setter, you're still a price taker, but then that price taking is at a volume that becomes meaningful where it's like, man, if I could shave off two or three points here, this is like, this, this is a whole different business. And so I think that that's such a good, it's a really, really good answer. I love that one. Thank you. I also think that um, I, I'm wondering, like, since so many consumers are, are are focused on, you know, buying locally or buying nationally, right? Like Etsy, yep. searching by the country that you're in. I'm wondering, will there be a marriage between Etsy plus lo shipping and logistics? That way you can do Amazon, but locally, you know? And so people that are doing more handmade, not handmade, but more artisan or... Yep. more small business type of products yep. where you haven't reached those big breaks, you go to Etsy to kind of be your own marketplace that handles your shipping and logistics without having to, you know, give money to Amazon. Yeah. No, I think that's, it's right for disruption, especially if you can figure out a way to subsidize it or, you know, maybe you could pay a flat fee, almost like an inverse Amazon Prime where you can just pay yeah. a flat fee and you can ship up to X or Y or Z thresholds and you don't have to think about it. It's just like, hey, get it done. It's a really interesting, I think there's going to be, and the other thing is there's just a crap ton of money in logistics and shipping. It's 
it's one of those things like uh, I can't remember who told me this, but uh, like the boring businesses can be like just the best businesses. Like warehousing is like yeah, warehousing technology. Like there's all these like really like I'd want to like stab myself in the eye if I was working in that. And then you look at like <laughs> the market caps and like how much money's actually running through these verticals. You're like wow, maybe I was wrong about that. But uh, that's really enlightening. I, I I love to that's that's really spot on. I think that's that's probably the best 2023 take. I think there's there's just going to be a huge shift. And it kind of makes it hard too, right? Because not only do I have to sell and get these customers acquired and build this brand that people love, but then I also have to figure out how to meaningfully yet economically ship and deliver my product. Like, yeah, there's, it's just, it's a lot going on, especially for the, you know, again, that one to 10 million kind of range or where you've had that product market fit, but you really haven't figured out the business efficiencies yet to really take your uh, company to the next level. That's so interesting. Yeah, we're constantly learning in that space. We are vertically integrated, so we do manage our chain. But with, yep. even within that, like, there's it's just so many learnings on when to order stuff, when not to order stuff, how to package stuff. things, how to long to like hear things cure. Like, there's just so many details in there that as a you know young brand, we're still very much figuring out. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if, if for you guys. Well, you don't have to deal with sizing. So that's the one thing like apparel brands just freak me out where it's like inventory is hard enough. And then can you imagine like all these different variants of like how many smalls, mediums, larges do you get? Like, oh my gosh, kill me. And then you add in a colorway and then like it just gets crazy. Um, but I think inventory is also going to be something that is going to be right for disruption, like being able to figure out uh, a meaningful way to forecast, things of that nature. Because yeah. that's the other thing that I think gets lost upon a lot of people because a lot of these D2C businesses aren't these, you know, $500 million, billion dollar companies, they're usually, in, there's nothing wrong with like a $50 million company. It's a fantastic business. Um, but the logistics and then the the cash flow requirements are just really challenging. And if you go out of stock with like one of your hero SKUs, what do you do, right? Like a lot of times it's going to be usually again, 30 to 60 days, depending on how awesome that supplier is of lead time. So that's two months of like your best product down. If your best product's down, what are you going to do with acquisition? Are you just going to light add money on fire because you're going to be pushing them to products that people really don't want because you're bestsellers? And it's, it gets into this quagmire really quickly of cash flow where you really need to understand. Uh, and now even more so because cash is so expensive. Before it was a little bit cheaper. People were just kind of handing it out. You need money, you need money. But as we go into 2023, interest rates are crazy. There's a lot of macro uh, economic things going on. And so with the money being so expensive, making sure that you really nail kind of your cash conversion cycle, understanding your cash flows, I think it's also going to be right up there with uh, understanding your logistical demands. On top of that, just forecasting what your customers actually want, not based on um, necessarily just like what your sales are during each any given month or any given quarter, but also looking at their behavior um, based on who's coming back on a month to month basis versus who isn't and why. Uh, basically just getting way better at your forecasting is just key, <laughs> key to not dying. So key. so key. Yeah. I mean, that's what the number one reason startups dies because they run out of cash and that's, it's a really uh, good way to not run out of cash. Just have some really accurate forecasting. Oh my gosh. All right. You ready? You made it to the rapid fire. All right. Let's go. Okay. TikTok overrated, underrated. Underrated. Oh, okay. YouTube overrated, underrated. Overrated. Oh, interesting. Toronto, overrated, underrated. Underrated by far. (laughs) 
Really? Okay, I like it. Um, volunteering. I know mean, you have a, a lot of volunteering in your background. Volunteering, overrated, underrated. Overrated. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never would have thought that one through. Okay, amazing. Um, psychedelic therapy, overrated, underrated. Oh, uh, oh, that's I a hard think one. This was uh, a fence sitter. Oh my gosh, amazing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a fence sitter for me. I don't. I don't. I. I want to say overrated. I want. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say overrated. Oh wow, Stephanie. that was hard though. Not, not shying away from the controversy. I like it. Um, so you guys are kind of distributed. We're in a hub model as well, but team culture, overrated, underrated. Oh man, underrated. It's the most important. It's like the most important thing. I couldn't like. I, this is my first job as like an actual leader. I used to just be basically like an IC and. I was always like, who did team bonding bullshit, like whatever, like just crush so far off. Like <laughs> the team needs to be rowing in the right direction. People need purpose. People need social connection. People need understanding. People need um, to see leadership from the front. Like, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Team culture is something that if you asked old Robert, I'd be like, that's just a bunch of business MBA speak, but it's, it's, it's really uh, important. I agree with you. Um, remote work, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Oh, okay. I like it. If you could give the mojos to anybody, you could collab with anyone, who would it be? Okay. For the first person that came to mind was Obama. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> that's a, that would be a dream. That's amazing. But close second or tied for first, Miley Cyrus. Interesting. Those are two very, very, uh, not dichotomous, but, uh, Definitely different different areas of the uh, the spectrum. That's amazing. I love it. Um, oh, I forgot. To, I skipped this overrated, underrated. So we're gonna go back to one. Uh, microdosing, overrated, underrated. I would say underrated. Yeah, amazing. Uh, favorite mushroom. Ooh. Because uh, there's like a like, bazillion of them, right? I was gonna say I'm like psychedelic or otherwise. Um, okay, psychedelic. Oh, like a penis envy or something like that. Like a crazy yeah. one or like. Okay, yeah. I guess anyone. This is this is your rapid fire, so you can choose whatever. Uh, I'm going to go with psychedelic, and okay. I'm going to go with tidal wave. Oh, amazing. All right. Is there like a um, leafly for mushrooms? Like we're leafly actually, is like uh, for cannabis, like and so like mushroom kind of thing? We ha we're creating one on Guala. So if you go to guala.com, we're, cre we're creating a wiki for different types of uh, psychedelic mushrooms. That is so brilliant. I love that idea. That's that's fantastic. Um, favorite meal and why? Breakfast. Um, and I, I literally, it, it's like what back when I was on Tinder, that was my bio. Like I just love breakfast. I I don't know why, <laughs> but it is everything about breakfast is my favorite. I'm the same. I'm the same. And uh, I was just, where was I at? In uh, London, out in England, and they do horrible breakfast. I uh, know. The, the British don't do breakfast well. Um, no. So, um, but I'm, I'm a big breakfast guy myself. Uh, favorite place to travel to and why? Uh, Italy. And oh. I'm going to go ahead and say Rome. Um, you know when you step into a city or a place and you feel like, wow, like I'm meant to be here? Like yep. that was Rome for me. I could love that. Toronto is my favorite place on earth, but Rome is a close tie for first. Um, I could, if I, I would chose anywhere else, it'd be Rome. I love that. It, and supposedly the Colosseum is just 
even now still pretty like incredible right where you can just it's just this commanding structure where it's like just think of it back then where there was nothing and you just yeah. have this stadium just domineering over this whole city it's just pretty incredible italy italy's on the list i recently got to go to barcelona and that i had that vibe where just like that's a wonderful city for me i, I love walking i love architecture just just the whole vibe in barcelona yeah. is incredible but italy's on the list uh, okay last question if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who are you inviting? So you're at a four-person sitting, you're sitting at the head of the table, you get three invites. Who's getting an invite from Stephanie? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Margaret Atwood, Obama, and you'd think it'd be Miley Cyrus, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) You got to pitch him on the collabs. Come on. (laughs) Right? Um, Honestly, I think it would be my my favorite um, artist, uh, Taylor gold he so from dawes uh it's like this band they're from california uh he's married to mandy moore uh yeah i i would say taylor would be part so of that two, two musicians and a politician and everybody's still alive we might not be but very interesting <laughs> <laughs> she still hex everybody like that <laughs> that's amazing uh stephanie that was fantastic you made it out alive of rapid fire um, tell the people how they can connect with you. How can they go buy some Guelo, some Mojo? Um, this time is yours. For sure. Um, again, Amazon reviews, please. Please, <laughs> Mojo people. Microdose, just put that in the search bar. That would be great. But you can otherwise get Mojo on mojo.shop or guelomushrooms.com. You can connect with me. I'm basically steph.psych or steph underscore psych on anything and everything. It's either a period or an underscore. Um and yeah reach out i'm happy to chat always amazing thank you so much these your answers are so thoughtful and eloquent and this is amazing i always i always love the canadians i guess you're 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 a transplant canadian but it's it's consumed you 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 just have the that beautiful bubbly canadian personality uh really appreciate you taking the time for us and then i actually think it's got rescheduled too so thank you for the flexibility in your scheduling as well this is just really interesting i loved your 2023 picks i loved your just frameworks and just you have a great vibe. It's very, very awesome. Thank you so um, much. All right, folks, that's it. That's another You're Not Your Row Eyes in the Books. If you want to get more involved with Triple Whale, we are triplewhale.com. And then we have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can subscribe right at triplewhale.com slash whale mail. And by the time this drops, you can actually sign up for uh, the Whaleys. So it's going to be our D2C award show. Think of the Oscars for D2C. Um, we're kind of taking the mullet approach for events where it'll be all business in the front, party in the back, where we'll have two days of education and then two big parties. Um, so that'll be in Austin, Texas, February 1st and 2nd. Thewhaleys.com. Go check it out. Grab your tickets. Stephanie should make it out to Austin. If you can make it out in February, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a fun one. Absolutely. All right. Awesome, folks. Thanks so much. Uh, go leave a review. Go subscribe to the channel. Go do all the things. You guys know what to do. Thanks so much for stopping in. Bye-bye.